0: Quei due sanno troppe cose. Eccomi, ora sentite la mia presenza. Eccomi tra voi. Alfred, voi che mi avete evocato. Voi che volete sapere. Conoscerete la verità di questa terribile notte, simile a quella nella quale vi perdeste. Chi sei? Una vittima. La vittima di una vostra antica macchinazione. Ma questa notte... ...quoi vi
1: Hello everyone welcome back to the bloody pit this is episode 144 oh man i've lost track 144 145 that is a terrible thing to have to admit but i have completely lost track of what episode this will be i believe it will be 145 so uh tonight or today or whenever you're listening to this show boy i'm confused i am joined again by frequent contributor to the bloody pit and my uh my beloved host slash co-host over on the wild wild podcast
2: adrian smith how are you doing today adrian hello yes i'm happy to be here on your 145th or 6th <laughs> podcast <laughs> something
1: would i i have forgotten uh yes yes this this is the podcast where i i i cannot keep track of the numbering and that is perhaps the best slash worst branding in the mm. history of podcasting
2: yeah. uh Either way, either way, it's just going to say that's a very impressive number to have got to for a podcast. So, uh, you know, well done.
1: Well, I guess it's just persistence. I've kept at it. It's taken too many years to get to that number of podcasts. Uh, uh, I, I try not. I, d- I do not try to keep some kind of regular schedule because I mean I just have too many things in my life that interfere with something that would actually involve a regular schedule. And so uh, I, I guess I guess to a degree I'm pretty happy with that. The number of episodes of the Nashi Cast I can't even remember anymore. I know it's uh, well over a hundred, but I don't remember exactly how many of those I've I've produced as well. But this could not be done without the help of the uh, the fine fine people who were crazy enough to join me to do this stuff, <laughs> and uh, you happily are one of them. We are cool. back today doing another Antonio Margariti film.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now tell me something. This mm-hmm. this this film we're doing today is fairly difficult to see. It's called The Unnaturals. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's it came out in 1969. It is a an Italian and German co-production, which will become incredibly evident once we start digging into the cast list. Yeah. But um, uh, had you been familiar with this film before we decided to cover it?
2: Yeah, it's a film that I did actually try to co- I was going to do it on my margariti blog back when I was being relatively um, good at uh, keep putting stuff up on there. And I did actually start watching The Unnaturals. And then for some reason or other, I never quite got around to finishing it. So... <laughs> um, well, you do have
1: was, to kind of pay attention to
2: it. Yeah. yeah. So finally, this week, I sat down and watched the whole thing. But yeah, it's um, it's um an interesting movie. Because you mentioned it's an Italian-German co-production. But of course, it's set in Brighton, which <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, amused me no end because I I live near Brighton and I work in Brighton. Um, well, I mean, I did before I just have to work from home, but um, I'm very familiar with Brighton, and I don't think this is really Brighton.
1: Uh, no, this was not <laughs> shot anywhere near Brighton. <laughs> uh, this is very much in the vein of the um, the German Krimi films that were being produced mm. at the same time, uh, in that uh, they almost always uh, pretended very, very hard to be uh, taking place somewhere in England, usually in London, And uh, but this one has a stranger, kind of a stranger aspect in that this film also purports to take place in the 1920s, which is a period that they fake pretty well here, I have to admit.
2: Mm. And I found that, yeah, once they got out of their cars and into that house, I started to get a bit lost as to when we were supposed to be. Um,
1: well, that, the, the movie does switch well, back and forth yeah. from uh, the, the, whatever the present day date is, which still seems to be in either the late 20s or early 30s, to mm. 10 years previous when uh, some dastardly events took place that uh, the film
2: slowly unspools yeah. to, uh, to incriminate most of the cast. <laughs> and did you notice that? So it's 10 years earlier. And in order for us to believe that, the men have got slightly grayer hair in the present than they do in the flashback sequences, but the women all look exactly the same. And I just, I found it incredibly confusing. Uh, (laughs) It's like these women have not aged in 10 years.
1: Women don't age, man. You should, you should learn that now. You're a married man. You know, you you should know this. Yeah. Good If they
2: do age, you do not speak of it. I mean, in just uh, in general, I found this very confusing to follow because all the women, apart from one, they all basically looked kind of the same. And I was very confused about who all the characters were and how they were connected to each other and who loved who and who was having an affair with who. I got very well, this lost. This was
1: my second time. I'm sorry. I, I was This This was my second time through the movie. And I have to admit, um, my first time through, uh, I did have to back up a few times and reread uh, subtitles a few times to to make sure I knew what was going on. Uh, and we should emphasize that unfortunately, uh, there is no English dub that we can find of this film. So what we're dealing mm-hmm. with here and what I'm pretty much sure everybody would have to deal with is a fan subtitled version of the movie, I think uh, the, Ita- uh, the with the uh, the Italian language version of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, if there was an English dub, i I would love to see it. Because I'm sure that the dubbers would have, you know, found some way to go out of their way to make sure that uh, the names get emphasized a bit more than um, the the subtitling of the Italian does. Yeah, I have to say that uh, my my second viewing of the film um, made this clear. You know, made it clear who the who who it's the women that are the 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 confusing part. Not because yeah. I didn't find that they they all looked the same. I, I did find that um, the nature of the story is partially responsible for making you have to work a little harder to to suss out who's who Mm -hmm. and what they're doing and Mm -hmm. what their, uh, shall we say, nefarious goals may be, mainly because that seems to be part of the way the film is structured. It is this twisty, turny nasty little thing where everybody is damn near sleeping with everybody else or at least has designs <laughs> on sleeping with with everybody else uh-huh. yeah. uh, you know gender be damned and uh mm-hmm. the uh idea that this is um uh this kind of uh, snake pit of 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 you know twirling and twisting people who uh, are just engaging in whatever uh, criminal activity they need to to get through the night seems to be exactly what's going on here. So I think mm. a little, a little bit, a little, little bit of that confusion comes from uh, the uh, the kind of veiled looks and uh, guilty sidelong glances that the movie excels in. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the uh, I, I just have to say I I, I found this. Uh, to be an, uh, an exceptionally interesting film for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that this movie is quite similar to, um, well, a movie made a few years later by Mario Bava, uh, *Lisa and the Devil*. Uh, it's it's very it's very yeah. very similar to that film in a lot of ways, which kind of makes me wonder if, in one way or another, they're they're kind of bizarre and un, unacknowledged unacknowledged. Adaptations of the same kind of story, if not, or maybe even the exact same story, but neither of them kind of cop to it. I I don't know. I, I this kind of story, I wouldn't say it's you know. I mean, I wouldn't say it's a common type of story. This kind of twisty turny weirdness, but the 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 uh, I guess the the plot and the characterizations put forth, kind of the idea behind the whole thing. It's not exactly. Uh, it's not exactly incredibly original, but I do think that it's weird that both both Lisa and the Devil and this movie come at this story in very similar ways. And um I, I just have to say I th- I think this is uh, a very interesting version of the story and uh it's very much in keeping with uh I am sure you will agree, very much in keeping with uh films that Margariti had made in years previous to this, especially something like Castle of Blood.
2: Mm. Yeah. That's a good call on the um, Lisa from the devil thing. I mean, this film is credited as being based on an original short story. So it's kind sort of adapted from that. Maybe, um, you know, somebody else read that short story and it gave them an idea, but then they didn't credit the original writer. Who well, what knows? I've
1: seen on IMDb is a a, a writer listed uh, as uh, uh, Dino Buzzati. Mm-hmm. The uh, he was a, he was a, a, an Italian novelist who uh, was incredibly well known because of his novel. I uh, was published in I think nineteen forty, called uh, the, was it the Death of the Tartars,
2: right?
1: And, which is by the way a film that is currently being, <laughs> which has been made into a film several times, and um, you're looking at Dino Bizzati's credits. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah the Tartar Steps or the the Tartar Step. Uh, he published it in 1940 and it was a massive hit made him quite famous. It's been made into a movie a couple of times. Um, the thing is he wrote a lot of short stories. And so my thought is maybe he wrote a story that this is kind of a variation on, Mm. which is why he gets some kind of screen credit. Or maybe he had a hand in actually pinning the script. I don't know. I can't find any specific information about that. He has a there is an Italian language website devoted to him, but frustratingly enough, the tab about his work in cinema is a dead link that hasn't been filled in yet. So it's like <laughs> damn it, what are you doing to me? Mm. <sighs> How frustrating. Nut. But this is, this is an interesting film that both in tone and and style really does, like I say, harken back to some of the gothics that Margariti had already done in previous years, like the, you know, like Castle Blood, Long Hair of Death.
2: Mm-hmm. It's also interesting you mentioned before about whether or not there'd been an English um, dub version of this. I thought it in the opening credits, although the version that we were watching was an Italian print. Under the Italian title of Contra Natura, uh, it did say the Unnaturals in English, as if they, they, I don't know. Yeah. Which I thought was an interesting to have the to have the translation and the original both on the screen at the same time. So whether it was intended to have an English track as well, I mean, who knows? Uh, Antonio Magruti, several of his films in that period were German co-productions. Um, in fact, all the way, you know, right up to the 80s, he was doing stuff that were German co-productions. So um, it makes you wonder whether this film would have primarily just been seen in Germany and italy and then maybe didn't travel as far as he would have liked i like the title the german title um is uh Schrie in the nacht which means scream in the night yeah which i'm pretty sure which, i've seen which is pretty appropriate yeah i'm sure i've seen another film called "Scream," and it sounds very familiar but, uh, <laughs> but yeah <laughs> but that that sounds much more crimmy like as well as you said before it's got this kind of creamy feel. Plus, some of the stars are creamy people.
1: Well, yeah, especially uh, the, uh, is it is it Joachim F- Fuchsberger,
2: something like uh, the that, yeah.
1: who, who play who plays Ben, who's a who's a face. Who, if you've seen one creamy film, you've probably seen him because he's in a, he's in so many of them. It's
2: ridiculous. Yeah, and the uh, uh, Fu Manchu.
1: Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. He was he. Uh, which, oh, I forget which Fu Manchu film he was in, but yeah, you're uh, right. I know he in the Face of Fu
2: Manchu. They Recognized him from that. <laughs> but the,
1: uh, the 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 if you've watched any any creamy films from the sixties whatsoever, you've seen him. And honestly, he's he's a. This is this is weird to say, but it's just the way we react to this. Uh, he's a familiar face and one that kind of brings a level of comfort to me automatically because it's like oh well i know this guy is good i know he's talented and i know that yeah that uh i can trust him on screen and this that turns out to be true in this film as well he's one of those actors who regardless of the character he's playing i know he's going to do a good job
2: yeah he's a reassuring presence and he's kind of a, he's a little bit like he's the good guy i don't know in this one kind of kind of
1: sort of he is the voice of uh, sanity and perhaps morality a couple of times mm. uh and he does he is done horribly wrong by by his yeah. uh by his uh his friend that is oh boy ain't that true yeah um another familiar face is uh, claudio Cam- uh, camasso who only made a few a few films but the reason he's incredibly familiar to me is another bava connection which is uh bay of blood he was in bay of blood
2: oh right yeah
1: he didn't make a whole lot of movies, unfortunately. Um, I don't know why. Uh, he did work for uh, Margariti in uh, the Western, the Spaghetti Western Vengeance, mm-hmm. but uh, so I know him from uh, from those two films, and now this one. Uh,
2: mm-hmm. But
1: I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know that I've seen him in a couple of. I, I know I've seen a couple of other Spaghetti Westerns, but I don't remember him specifically in them. But he stood out in those two movies anyway.
2: Yeah, and I and I wasn't entirely sure what his character was supposed to be doing in this. <laughs> like he's got some kind of job with the family, but I was I was getting a bit lost as exactly what his purpose was, other than to uh, be really attractive to some of the women,
1: <laughs> to, really attractive <laughs> to one of the older men's wives. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, but I
2: can't remember which wife it was who was in turn.
1: Uh, I don't know that he was all that picky considering he had the girlfriend who got him the job interview in the first place. And, mm. and then he was fooling around with one of the with, with uh, his boss's wife as well. So, hey, you know, what What the heck? Mm. Uh, uh, there's Marianne. Uh, is it Koch or Co- uh, I'm not sure exactly how her name would be. Well, I know. In German. I know that Derek
2: Cook pronounced his surname Cook, but uh, that's because he's American. I don't know. Maybe in Germany, it might be more Koch.
1: I, yeah, I'm I not at all sure, but she's a familiar <laughs> face because, yeah. uh, I mean, she stands out because uh, she was a, a massive presence in a fistful of dollars in '64. Mm. Uh, but she was she was in uh, it, her her career was not as long as I assumed it would be, but I have seen her in a number of things, and and I look at I look at her list of credits. She start, she started making movies in uh, the '50s. And, of course, those films are much more difficult for me to see. I've not been able to see things, you know, like The Devil's General and, and Night People mm. and Two Blue Eyes, just because those are – those are. I, I don't know where I would go specifically to get my hands no. on English-friendly versions of uh, Italian uh,
2: 50s 50s films that aren't particularly they're, genre-friendly. Yeah. But I, I think they're German, aren't they? Wasn't she German?
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Well, yeah. Well, a couple of them appear to be Italian as well, and that's the yeah. thing. I mean, you know, if you're European, you're you're taking jobs wherever. That's true. But yeah. The but the um, I mean, she certainly was when you get to the '60s with things like uh, Black Pan- the Black Panther of Ratana, which I mean, just the title of that makes me go, "Okay, I need to yeah, locate I'm that
2: in. film." <laughs> <laughs> that does sound good.
1: Yeah, doesn't it? I mean, what, yeah. <laughs> what, more, what more do you need to know other than mm, I'll I'll gladly I'll gladly watch that. Yeah. But uh, she's quite good in this, and and she has she has a, a kind of uh, like most of the women in this film, she has to be able to look uh, concerned and pensive as she uh, contemplates the fact that some of her uh, more salacious lifetime secrets will be uh, made public, and so this is. This is something she's actually pretty damn good at, and so that's nice. Um, but I'll be honest, we could talk about a number of other people in the cast. Mm. But the, sh- the shock for the first time, the first time I saw this movie, the shock to me was that longtime Margariti collaborator Luciano Pagosi is center stage in this yeah. film. Uh, he, uh, he worked under the the uh, stage name Alan Collins, and he was known as the Italian Peter Lorre, uh, and he has a a huge role in this movie. He's usually just a character actor, a side playing you know side characters, but man, he is really in place big time wow. in this film, and he does a fantastic. Well, he always does a fantastic job, but it's nice to know when you give him you know more than like 2 pages of dialogue in a script that he can really pull it off effectively.
2: Yeah, he looks good as well with his sideburns. Yeah, he yes. looks he looks quite young in this film I thought compared to some of the things I've seen in him in.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember the first time I ever ran across him was in, uh, of course, another Margariti film. You're the Hunter from the Future, where he's he's both <laughs> older and he's playing, you know, he's playing a father figure, and so he's he's, he's supposed yeah, he's, to look he's, he, older. He's
2: older and nakeder. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, I'm not I'm not sure we needed to spend <laughs> that much time looking at Luciani Pagosi's legs, but hey, you're from the your you're Hunter from the Future. There you go. Oh,
2: such a great film. Uh, but but yeah, he made.
1: Man. I think he made more than twenty movies with Antonio Margariti. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, Seven Deaths in a Cat's Eye. He was in uh, God Save Us, Mister Hercules Against Karate, and and uh, even in um, uh, uh, Alien from the Deep. And, and he's just he, he, he was in he was in over a hundred movies over the course of his career, and at least twenty mm. of them have to be movies that he made with Antonio Margariti. I mean, Hunters of the Golden
2: Cobra and The Last Hunter.
1: Just movie after
2: movie that they work
1: together on. And if
2: um, what I particularly like is his role in Naked You Die, Mm -hmm. um, a.k.a. the young, the evil and the savage. And just if I can just use that as a terrible segue. um, (laughs) I a while ago, I was really interested in finding out who the lead actress was in that film, Sally Smith. And I eventually tracked her down and it turned out that she lived about 15 miles away from me. And I've become quite good friends with her now, um, which is fun. And she has agreed to do, uh, we're doing a Q and a at a cinema in Hastings next month called the electric palace. Uh, It's sadly not, not a screening of naked you die, but um, a screening of another film that she did called father came Two, which is a, a comedy with a, whole load of british comedy people but uh yeah, but obviously yes so, some double entendres yeah. yes so um so yeah so she and she was i think she's in some scenes with Pigozzi uh in that film um so yeah so that's fun so that's my my kind of two um degrees of separation from alan collins <laughs> <laughs> there you that,
1: go i I would love to, I, and there, it may exist out there. Maybe just maybe not in English. I'd love a career-spanning, long-form interview mm-hmm. with Luciani Pigozzi because, my God, I mean, he think of all the people he worked with. He was in *Barren Blood* with by Mario Bava. He was in I don't know, you know, th- movies like uh, *Ivanhoe*, the Nor- Norman swordsman, and *Blackie*, the pirate. Uh, he was he, he worked for. Uh, he was in uh, *Sabata*. <laughs> I mean, you, you look at his career and you just go. My God, the stories this guy had to have! Yep. Please tell me someone someone made the effort to just get some of his remembrances, you know, on record. Uh, I it, it's it's astonishing. I mean, he you know, whipping the body, blood and black lace, uh, Castle of the Living Dead, werewolf in a girl's uh, dormitory. Uh, th- th- this is a guy whose career touches on so many films that are just absolutely fascinating to this day, and it's one of those. Uh, Oh, please, please, If anybody has any knowledge of any kind of interview or or comments at all from
2: Luciano Pagosi, oh man, let us know because yeah.
1: it would be a joy to find like out we need, anything he had to say.
2: Yeah, what we need is somebody like Roberto Curti to do a biography or something like that. That'd, oh, be, that'd good. be Nice English language biography of, uh, of Pagosi. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, I would just, I, I would, I just want to know more about you know, a man who was in, you know, the film Frankenstein's Castle of Freaks. That's
2: what (laughs) I want. I want it so damn much. It makes you wonder how well, obviously people like Bagozzi are quite regarded by people like us who love Italian cult cinema, but I wonder how well regarded or remembered he is just in general in Italy. Like, is he somebody who people have a fond recollection of or is he like completely obscure? It would be interesting to know what, normal italians remember about about him
1: yeah it may it, 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 mainly because he was his face was so ubiquitous for decades mm. you know i mean it becomes one of those things where it's like was there ever any kind of acknowledgement of his contributions in his home country i'd be i'd be yeah, you know, i'd be fascinated to know yeah
2: and he didn't die until 2008 so there was plenty of time for people to mm-hmm. really do some stuff with him but uh, uh, who knows anyway
1: <laughs> no way to know well I'm, at least until somebody please 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 yeah. <laughs> if you know of anything let us know about it mm. all right well so that 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 like I said the first time I saw this movie was it was it was a revelation to realize that he got such a such a huge amount of screen time but um, the joys of this film is that it is it is kind of a, a gothic horror film in a way, you know, in a in a way, set in the 1920s in uh, <clears throat> Brighton. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll 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 let that fly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll, we'll pretend we'll pretend it's Brighton. What the heck? And I guess kind of a short form version of a plot for it would would be that um, this is a film that takes place amongst um, some uh, some British high society people. In the in the 1920s, and uh, after leave after uh, a few of them leave a party to uh, venture into Brighton for some kind of early morning meeting that they have to do uh, the next day. There's some kind of deadline involved, uh, some kind of legal deadline that they have to meet with some paperwork that they have to present.
2: Yeah, it's to do uh, with an, that... an inheritance or something, isn't it? Mm-hmm. An inheritance that
1: in just a few lines of dialogue we're we're made to realize uh, that. Um, the lawyer character played by uh, the German actor Joaquin Fuchsberger uh, helped uh, helped one particular character to kind of swindle another family member out of. And uh, that is something that will play into uh, some of the more uh, terrible revelations later in the story as well. Mm. Uh, but on a dark and stormy night somewhere in England, <clears throat> well, you know, we, we're headed to Brighton, so it can't be too far away, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, all uh, the I all grew, the uh, roads all the roads around here are like that. <laughs> they're they're all they're all uh, rutted dirt roads where, where that can be turned into uh, flooded out nowheresvilles immediately. Yeah. Is that it? That's it. Yeah. <laughs> well, this this group of people traveling uh, traveling to Brighton gets stranded when their car uh, uh, gets stuck in uh, a muddy rutted road, and uh, they uh, spot a uh, house near near the road. And so in this downpour, they, uh, they go to the house, enter it, and it turns out to be a very spooky, kind of semi-abandoned old mansion that is, uh, by the way, a beautiful set, in my opinion. Yeah.
2: Now, there's a couple of things I'd like to just pick up on here. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, that car wasn't really that stuck. Like, if everyone had got out the car... <laughs> if everyone like, had pushed... Yeah, they're trying to push it because it's got a little bit stuck in the mud... But it's still got about five people sitting inside it. It's like if they all got out, then it would have taken enough weight out. They could have just given the car a little nudge and it would have probably been fine. So that was the first thing I thought of. <laughs> but then I was also thinking I don't know about you, Rod. how many times have you broken down miles from anywhere and had to take shelter in a spooky old house? I mean, Oh,
1: well take shelter to me all time. the time. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> take shelter because of a breakdown, uh, at least once. Okay. Uh, but in a spooky old house, I've never been lucky enough
2: to be yeah. near a spooky old house <laughs> it's, when I've broken down. No, it's just such, I mean, obviously I think it goes back to the old dark house, which is sort of exactly the same oh, yeah. start, but I've seen several other things where, you know, they start with people having to shelter in a creepy old house. Um, mm. I mean, I think isn't, um, isn't the black cat, doesn't that, isn't that how Boris Karloff, um, and Bella end up in the same place because they've taken shots. Well, no, Schnaz they're actually, Boris, or they actually they're going actually going to his house.
1: Uh, uh, oh, Bella's is no, actually, actually going there. Yeah, well, that's The people right, that he's so. traveling with yeah, they uh, have are to not take going shots there. Up. They end up, yeah. Yes,
2: that was it. So it's, it's quite a common sort of cliche to start a horror film, but, uh, for me, I'm, I'm sad to say it's never actually happened to me in real life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, it's James Whale's, you know, seminal... Old Dark House from 32 that really kind of sets the template. And it's almost, I, I swear to you, it's almost as if filmmakers over the years, it's, they, they've seen the Old Dark House and they're like, how close can I get to exactly what Whale did
0: mm-hmm. in, the,
1: in the in the first third of my plot to make sure that it, it so closely resembles it that no one can miss the obvious. Uh, I, I don't mind it because I like Old Dark House stories, but it is, uh, I think I... <laughs> At what point in film history does a cliche become just what it is? I mean, it's just mm-hmm. you just have to accept it and go on with it and stop and stop noticing just how cliched it is because no one's ever gonna stop doing it. <laughs> well the well the care the, 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 the various characters here are uh, I, I do like we have, you know, we have the closeted lesbian wife who's played by Marianne Koch or well, Coke or well, however her last name is yeah. pronounced.
2: You say closeted? She's not very closeted. <laughs> no, she's not very closeted because the be, aggressive because, uh, is more what I would say. <laughs> yeah,
1: she's let's let's just say she's sexually open to all mm-hmm. genders.
2: Yeah, and she That's, will take no. If we prisoners. present her with a
1: third gender, perhaps she would be fine with that too. Yeah. Well, her uh, she she has a severe amount of lust for for Margaret. Uh, whose lover, Alfred, who's played by Claudio Cam- uh, Camasio, he, he twigs the fact that she's attracted to this woman. I mean, like, instantaneously. He's like, whoa, mm-hmm. she's making eyes at you. I've been here five minutes, and she's already cutting eyes at you. Like, there's some jealousy involved here. This is bizarre. Um, and the uh, the uh, egotistical aristocrat Archibald Barrett, uh, played by uh, Giuliano Raffaelli who is another face that we've seen in a lot of other films. Um, He, he honestly, uh, Archibald is, is the true asshole here. (laughs) I think he's the character who, who if, if not for his, if not for his actions, it's not as if nothing bad would have happened because there's a separate incident that we'll get to in a minute, but he is the, uh, he's the greedy bastard who sets all of this crap in place. It ends up with uh, one of his family members accidentally. Well, Supposedly, accidentally dead, we find out the accident part is uh, quite different after the fact. But he's the real villain of the piece, although not not anybody in this movie really covers themselves in glory, to be honest. Mm. Uh, they uh, well, they once they get inside the ha- this creepy old house in this in this uh, lightning uh, and rainstorm, they uh, they discover the creepy caretaker of the place or possibly just the son of the owner of the place it's a little fuzzy and there's a reason for it to be fuzzy until the end of the movie Uh, a character named uriat uh, which is a truly odd name yeah (laughs) he's the character played by luciano Pagosi, and his mother uh who's a spiritual medium who as they enter is in a trance apparently they have interrupted a seance Uh, which is interesting because it would have just been the two of them, which is, uh, from my my understanding, uh, this is not a scientific statement, but I do believe that you need more than uh, two people to conduct a seance or the devil will get you. I I don't know how this works. I really don't. If somebody has any, if there's a rule book for seances, I need to know what it is.
2: um, Hang on. (laughs) Every time I've held a seance, it's always been more than two people.
1: Sorry about the phone interruption there, people. I will uh, take care of that particular problem right now. Hang on one second. Just the other day, Troy was making fun of me for the occasional uh, device that interrupts us with a bizarre sound. And, and, of course, it happens in this one as well. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, nevertheless, uh, claiming, uh, claiming that these guests were unexpected... Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, claiming that these guests were actually expected... Uh, Uriat, uh, invites them to join in the seance to help him get his, uh, his aged mother here out of this trance. And, uh, considering they're stuck there, the, uh, the, the men actually agree to go along with this, or at least most of the men, uh, Alfred, the, the younger man who's employed by Archibald does not go
2: along with it. No, he's more interested in getting one of these women alone upstairs. At Margaret, uh,
1: yeah, which is, you know, not a surprise because <laughs> one of the women is actually interested in getting the other woman alone as well.
2: Yes.
1: Well, um, they uh, they sit down and they start going through this. And as this seance continues, uh, let's just say that um, the creepy vocalizations that start coming out of the, uh, the tranced up mother start to have direct relations on some events that happened 10 years in the past that we start getting flashbacks to, so the movie uh, goes back and forth between um, them them in the house having the seance go on and events roughly ten years ago that uh, these people have been uh, covering up and uh, hiding uh, from the general knowledge of the world around them uh, until now, when it's deci- when it when it's been decided by uh, someone somewhere that it's all going to start to come out. Mm. This is. Um, this is the uh, kind of standard setup for this kind of film, and of course, the the, the real question, which I, I don't think we should give away, because I think that the, the I have I have found that I can point people toward a YouTube version of this film, the the subtit the fan subbed version of this film, I will point people toward so that they can watch this and uh, discover the uh, the third act surprises in total okay. once we get to it. But the uh, the the joys of this are. Uh, Is this going to be a supernatural thing or is this going to be something uh, less supernatural? Because there is another movie from the early 70s that this also greatly resembles. And it's uh, recently been released on Blu-ray, a film called Murder Mansion.
2: Murder Mansion. Murder Mansion, yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, Didn't Vinegar Syndrome put that out.
1: Yeah, as part of one of their uh, uh, Forgotten Giallo sets.
2: Right. I've got Uh, that set, but I haven't watched it yet.
1: Oh, wonderful little movie, way better than you would think it would be from such a, such a generic title. It was also released uh, possibly just on video as Murder Mansion, which is, uh, was it? I think there's like Murder Mansion, Mystery Mansion. I mean, there's it's just like whatever generic slash mansion title we can come up with is yeah. has been slapped <laughs> with at some point in time. But it's a, it's a really well done movie and one that I've hoped would come out on uh, on some kind of decent release for years and years and years. And luckily it finally did. The uh, the like I say this is this 1969 version if, if the fact that it has remained so underseen and almost impossible to view um, I mean for instance Lisa the Devil is on Blu-ray and has been on DVD multiple times mm-hmm. the, uh, uh, Murder Mansion uh, is now on Blu-ray and I have no idea if and when the Unnaturals is ever going to see the light of a Blu-ray disc or Mm. because it's never even been released on DVD that I'm aware of.
2: No, I mean, Margaritzi just in general outside of his kind of um, sci-fi quadrilogy and um, a couple of his Gothic horrors is pretty Mm -hmm. much kind of neglected. I think (laughs) And I was thinking about this as I was watching this film. and Like, if this film was going to be given a restoration and put out on Blu-ray, who would... Like, what would be the motivation to do it? Because for a lot of... Especially if you look at somebody like Severin and how they market their films, a lot of this kind of older stuff is always being sold on how crazy it is or, you know, it's all on the exploitation of it, how much nudity there is or how much gore there is. And that kind of stuff tends to be the angle when companies are, even vinegar syndrome, I think, when they're sort of going back and releasing this stuff, there's this kind of shocking exploitation kind of element. Whereas Margariti, he, I mean, in these films, he wasn't being particularly gory. And there's some nudity, but not as much as other Italian directors were doing at the time. So possibly the film is is a little bit too safe for a company to think that they could squeeze any money out of it, so I don't know if that's one of the reasons why. I mean, maybe you, if somebody was brave enough to do a box set, they could slip it into a box set. But on its own, I don't know how they would market it. If you know what I mean.
1: Well, I think that you're probably right. My mind went into a different direction, but I think that you may be onto something possibly more commercial for some kind of release, which would be some kind of like Margariti box set, where. <clears throat> Where this and a couple of other films from the same period, or maybe even similar genres, like maybe um, the the naked you know naked you die and this, and um, I don't know another another film he made from the same period that could be you know thematically web the, linked.
2: Web of the huh? spider maybe. Web of the spider.
1: Yeah, web of the spider has actually come out on Blu-ray over mm. here. Yeah. Um, which which was a pretty good release. I mean, it had like three or four different versions of the movie because there's there's so many different cuts of that particular film. But that would be a good that would be a good combination if somebody wanted to read. Mm. But yeah, that's that's not a bad uh, not a bad idea. But I was thinking that the the most likely way this would come out, just from a commercial standpoint, would probably be some some kind of release that would link it with the uh, the crimies of the time because there are. A couple of crimmies, um maybe more than a couple, that uh, are set in uh, the nineteen twenties and nineteen thirties, and oh, okay. so maybe an idea, uh, maybe uh, like a color crimmy set because they did move into color in the late sixties, and the the ones that they were that were produced in the seventies. Certainly fall into the to the color category, and so maybe that would be a way these thing that this, this could come out. You I mean, not not a not something ever you know linking directly to the margariti link, but to it being kind of uh, connected in a weird way to the Krimi mm. cycle. That's yeah, a possibility. That's yeah. But I, I the thing is this is this is a movie that's got uh, the more you think about it and the and 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 the, the 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 longer you look at it, the more it becomes evident. There's a lot going on in this that isn't all what i mean it's it didn't even need to necessarily be there but there's some neat stuff i mean it's a i guess you could you could you could look at it and go okay it kind of fits into the the kind of gothic tradition and it does um but it also it deals in what what i would just refer to as kind of like the, the the subdued or kind of undercurrent psychological terror but oddly because of the uh, the types of people that the film is about, there's also also this weird uh, uh, undercurrent of social satire in a few scenes. Because mm. there's a definite, uh, in, without giving too much away at the end, there's a definite uh, class conscious you know attack being made on uh, the characters here. Because the, the 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 one of the the final act reveals it's like we have uh, two characters in the movie. The uh, the Alfred character, uh, cl- uh, played by Claudio Camasso, who is uh, you know who's who's hired. He's not part of the class of these people. He is a hireling, uh, doing you know doing work for the lawyer and the uh, the aristocrats, but the uh, and also his his girlfriend she's another person who's employed by them and, and so you have this class division there that you see a couple of times just very subtly like when they get mm. into the car to travel to the to, to to make their interrupted travel to the old dark house the way that they the the, the, the subtle gestures and little uh, and brief statements that are made about people getting situated in the car, uh, mm-hmm. kind of kind of gives you just a little clue about how uh, who makes the decisions about where people sit uh, which is you know like i say something you can completely overlook except that later on this starts to play into things when the aristocratic wife really forces the issue of a se- uh, of a sex act onto mm-hmm. the female object of her lust and so mm-hmm. uh and, and, and like I say, if you have any doubts about it, the, the last third of the movie, the fi- some of the final reveals make it very clear that we're talking about uh, a division between servants and masters. And uh, I think that's interesting that it's not something that he like pounds on with a hammer in the way he lays out the story, but it is certainly there.
2: Yeah, no, I think you're right. There's definitely um, you could look at Vivian's character and how she's this sort of quite powerful, predatory lesbian and she's exploiting women be, through the power that she that she has because of her class and the money and yeah no that, I think that's a good reading
1: Well I think that w- one of the more one of the more interesting things is that there is a, a death that is shown in flashback that um, also points toward uh, this kind of this kind of class strangeness because we have two characters who've snuck out to a stable. Uh, one of them, the you know the wealthy aristocratic wife, and one the underling played by Claudio Camasso, who uh, are having an affair behind the husband's back, and of course they they go out there. Their reason that they that they leave a party to go out there is because the the wife wants to see her new her new horse, and is immediately that that draws to mind. Oh wow, you know you're you're incredibly wealthy. You're wealthy enough to own a stable of horses, and you want to see your new one. And then, of course, they they start engaging in uh, uh, sex. They're in the stable mm-hmm. when they are caught out by uh, that particular woman's lesbian lover, who is incredible. Well, 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 who, who's caught out by an incredibly uh, let's just say uh, uh, jealous
2: woman, who then accidentally ends up dead. And that is yeah. Uh, and who was that woman? This is another woman that confused me as to who she was. Oh,
1: that's that's Di- oh. that's Diana. That's um. Oh, okay that's alfred's abandoned wife so that oh, is what that is okay. the that is the jealousy involved here uh is that she shows up she's sh- sorry she sh- can
2: we just pause for a second yeah sure be back in two seconds let my wife in because the was, she, anyway, she was just downstairs
1: you had to let your wife in no. oh god that sounded that sounded wrong okay <sighs> sorry about that oh no problem yeah uh, so no, yeah so that, we're just that's, talking that's, about the character of diana yeah who ends up accidentally dead um because of her jealousy uh of 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 uh oh uh, alfred's uh, of alfred's character And, uh, the thing is, it's, it's it's clear that, uh, she, uh, Claudio's, Claudio's character of Alfred is clearly carrying on with just as many women as he can get his hands on. Mm -hmm. And this is, uh, this, this is where it, 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 descends into, uh, tragedy with her accidental death. And then immediately, of course, he and, uh, you know, you have the lower class man and the, the upper class woman then conspiring to cover up her death by burning the stables stable, down.
2: Which, like, they've only just bought a new horse, and it seems... I know.
1: And, th- and that is one of the things the film does not quite answer... <laughs> uh is like did they manage to get any of these horses out yeah. of here or was that just something they decided they were going to have to write off to get away with this yeah. accidental murder without answering any questions
2: yeah well yeah i did
1: wonder well, i i hate to put it this way but there's a part of me who's seen so many Margariti films in which he uh flat out kills animals that i kind of want. it's like are we gonna see this horse die Mm-hmm. <laughs> is, this, is this what we're about to watch is i gotta sacrifice yeah. a horse to get this no, film made here there, we go. there
2: is a there is a dead animal later in the movie though
1: oh i know i know and i kept waiting for him to kill a spider too because <laughs> the, the 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 film uh the film it, it, he he uses uh typical gothic imagery to to great effect here because in this in this old house there are a few moments when characters, uh, you know, like they focus in on uh, a spider's web and the spider, uh, you know, crawling around on it to once, you know, once again, get across the whole idea that this, this mansion really kind of is a web that these people have become trapped in and they, they're unaware of it quite yet. Uh, this, uh, I, yeah, the, I, I just, I got to a point there where it's like, you know, about every third Margariti film you watch, you're going to see an animal die, whether you're, uh, whether you're, you're, uh, sure it happened or not it's like eh, they're gonna kill a snake or they're just you know they're, they're gonna i don't know explode a monkey whatever the hell whatever the hell happens next i don't know <laughs> but it's it's well you know pretty much you just have to do that caveat in your mind and realize man that's, that was the way it was at the time i mean there were so many i, I don't know how many horses were made uh, I, I mean i don't know how many horses were killed in the making of western films uh, over mm-hmm. the course of you know a hundred years of cinema, but it it's way more than one. I can tell you that, and it may be well more than a hundred or a thousand and it's just one of those things that you know at the time it wasn't considered a big deal, and I think a lot of that falls into what you're talking about because i'm assuming you're 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 talking about the uh the flashback sequence to the fox hunt
2: yeah yeah which I, 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 um I thought was a pretty convincingly shot. Fox hunt. I was thinking, where did they get all those hounds from? In I don't know if they do fox hunting in Italy or or Germany. I'm not entirely sure I, where this was shot. I but, don't, um, yeah,
1: I I don't know where they would get them. Uh, as far as where this was shot, uh, I. <sighs> I I love being able to like track down exactly where things like this were shot. I I don't I I couldn't exactly nail down anything about mm. where this was shot, other than the you know all the all the stuff inside the house, of course, all the stage stuff, yeah. all the party stuff. That's that's the
2: not, uh, the kind of interiors of the the ho the houses that they're in are definitely European. So it's it they didn't come to Britain to uh, to film realistic exteriors. Like all the the. the <laughs> the fox hunt is fine but then they get to the house that they all live in and that doesn't look like a british country manor i don't think so i'm pretty sure it's either germany or italy that they're in so yeah, uh, yeah maybe yeah, they I just would, do fox say. hunt maybe they do fox hunting there as well uh, who
1: the heck knows but i will say this we <laughs> definitely uh, we definitely end up with a dead fox on screen so <laughs> mm-hmm. which i have to say is true of true of most films that involve a fox hunt so it's like ah well how many foxes were killed for cinema i have no idea well without going into a lot of detail for oh i before i forget man i love the score for this movie uh, uh carlo uh, it's it's a it's a carlos savina score and uh to complicate matters a little bit more Carlos Savina also did the score for Lisa and the Devil, <laughs> and there's some oh. uh, there's some distinct, similar themes within Lisa and the Devil's score uh, relating to this one. Uh, but I do I do love the I do love the music for this film. I think it's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, but it is interesting the same uh, the same composer did both of those films.
2: Um, yeah, and I mean he did nearly 200 Italian films. He's quite a mm-hmm. guy. Yeah, yeah. There comes some, a point. some other Margaritzi stuff as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. There comes a point I think when almost any composer who's working as much as he did is going to start repeating himself. If not on purpose, then simply because I, I've got to get this job done. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 sad but true. Uh, the uh, also, this is one of the reasons I really, really long for this to come out on on Blu-ray and some kind of high definition transfer. Please, Lord, one day, is that this is shot uh, like so many Margariti films. Uh, the, the last film that you and I, the last Margariti film that you and I covered on Wild Wild Podcast, was also shot widescreen. Uh, this, you know, the two mm. three five aspect ratio. And it's absolutely—it's clear that this is a gorgeous film where a lot of care has been taken. the The cinematographer is someone that uh, Margariti worked with repeatedly, Ricardo Pagliottini, who shot a lot of movies. I'm talking like like pretty much a hundred movies over the course of his career, and he, he shot a lot for. Margariti, but he also he shot uh, Lady Frankenstein. <laughs> He's the same cinematographer who shot Lady Frankenstein, oh, really? <laughs> referencing movies that you and I have talked about on podcasts mm-hmm. before. But uh, uh, he he did the the Killer Must Kill Again for uh, um, Luigi Cosi. for for Luigi Cosi, yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, and in Magnum Cop
2: and just. Uh, <laughs> Like I say, pretty much a yeah. hundred films he shot over the course um, of his career i like i like his um this is a very early seventies late sixties early seventies zoom lens film. It's like around that time when cinematographers were just getting zoom lenses <laughs> there's there's some good zooming in this movie.
1: Yeah, uh, it, it, effective zooming—the kind of thing that that—that yeah. that brings you from uh, a wide shot into uh, a closer shot on a specific character to emphasize what's going on within that, you know, within that character's head.
2: And, there's also some good, really. Oh, sorry, go on.
1: Oh no, no, go ahead, please, please.
2: I was going to say, along with that, there's some good elliptical editing, um, where mm-hmm. you get where they're in a scene, like they're in the séance, and then you get a close-up of one of the characters' eyes, and he's looking all panicky and then the camera zooms out and we're actually in the flashback and so there's this kind of overlapping which I really liked so Mm -hmm. you're not sure if you're in the present or the past and which I thought was a really neat touch sort of the way that they've done those close-ups and then edited it so that you're in one place but then aha actually you're in this other place I thought that was really good.
1: Well, the uh, one of the one of my favorite things that uh, Margariti does uh, in a number of his films, uh, probably when he has the time and money, is an overhead shot of something. And of course, in this movie, what he get, there's a there's a brilliant one that starts the the Spaghetti Western Vengeance, that uh, starts out uh, over a, a group of characters who have, have lassoed a man and are, oh. and are and are whipping him. That is just absolutely a, a, an astonishing way to start a, a movie but in this movie what he has is we have this ver- this uh, overhead shot on the seance table where the characters are seated around it and uh, it, it turns out that one of the details that I could find out was that um, our, our cinematographer here our cam- was also the camera operator. He was like dangled upside down holding the camera and then lowered toward the table so that he could do that and then <laughs> tilt the camera up to some of the characters' faces all in the same shot. And wow. I thought, oh, man, you know, they, they, that's, th- that, that's some of the stuff that you you, you you learn about after the fact. and realize, man, people worked hard on this.
2: Yeah. <laughs> All yeah. the
1: blood rushing to his head. Poor guy.
2: Yeah, I'd have passed out before I'd got to the uh, end of the shot, I think. If it was me. It,
1: Probably so. Uh, the thing is, I mean, uh, the, this this particular cinematographer, he worked on uh, Mission Stardust, and he shot all four of the uh, Gamma One films for Margarita. Oh. He shot Castle of Blood. Very um, good. Uh, also, uh, Horror Castle, Death Ray of Dr. Mabusa, uh, the Witch's Curse, Samson and the Seven Miracles of the World, and so it's, he's he's one of these guys who knew what he was doing, and then like I say, if you if you, if you give him the time and and uh, you get the kinds of things <laughs> that you see in this movie, huh? Oh <laughs> yeah, and, and some, some rope. rope. <laughs> well, he, he also shot the the wonderful uh, Margariti Spaghetti Western and uh, God Said to Cain which has oh, yeah. a lot of similar looking sequences to this mm. movie. They made it uh they made it uh, just just after this. Mm. And so there's a visual similarity between and God said to Cain and this movie. And all I can say is and God said the Cain is and God said to Cain is now out on Blu-ray. <laughs> it's like yes. come on people just back up one picture. That's all yeah. you got to do. Please, please, please.
2: Yeah, cuz this I mean it's quite dark and it's a little bit murky, which I'm sure it probably I mean, it's supposed to be dark because it's kind of gothicy, but mm-hmm. yeah, a, a, a decent restoration would certainly help make oh, it less murky. The uh,
1: the spooky atmosphere of this of this house is is just amazing. It's got all those wonderful dark, empty spaces, and all these creepy stuffed animals that the that the camera glides by, and we get these interesting close-ups on things. Not just you know, not just spiders and webs, but also the uh, the, the stuffed animals. I think are are a neat touch because visually they kind of give you a sense of the. Uh, that uh, you know the, the kind of uh, ca- captured feel and the 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 hemmed in uh, difference between the, uh, the the wealthy people and the servants, and the, the uh, strange the one strange thing that I will point out is that uh, for what for, for, for no good reason that I can p- completely ascertain, we do get a sequence of miniature work in the final act of the movie. Yeah, that came out of left field. I know it's like the the movie has not set in place the fact. I mean, yeah, the, the throughout this entire throughout this entire film, it yeah. is continuing to pour cats and dogs outside. It is raining yeah. a lot, but, but we've yeah. not been given Wait. any hint that suddenly the lower floor of the house is going to be breached by a flood. <laughs> and it's, I mean, and don't, don't get me wrong, plays out plays out effectively. I think it's very interesting, and that's another th- that's another reason why. I would love to see an HD version of this because it wasn't until getting to see like a a DVD of certain of Margariti's films that I could pick out some of the, uh, the sometimes well photographed and, and handled miniature work. Uh, Sometimes it's obvious, Uh, you know, but, but but it's, it's the kind of thing that I love even when I can spot it as obvious, but I just, Mm -hmm. I would love to be, to get, get a really good HD look at uh, the flood sequence uh, near the end of this movie, which I think is fascinating.
2: it wouldn't be a Margaretti film if it didn't end with either with, with some miniatures either getting flooded, blown up, or burned down. I know I mean, that's pretty much what happens every time, isn't it? <laughs> I
1: know, I know. I mean, I don't get me wrong, absolutely love it, but it's one of those, one of those, um, <laughs> it's one of those things where. I can imagine the ending without the flood. I mean, you'd have to have some other kind of yeah. physical catharsis to kind of bring everything to a, to some kind of violent head. But mm. uh, in a film that is attempting its best to uh, uh, keep the question of, of the supernatural the possible supernatural nature of some of these goings on, Kind of to the side. I mean, other than the fact that we've definitely got a, a séance going on here, which automatically puts the, the question of the supernatural into focus. Uh, the 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 question of the, the the film is not going to answer the question of whether this is to be taken seriously within the body of the film as you know as as reality uh, mm-hmm. until the very last moment. I understand the idea of having an actual, uh, you know, physical disaster take place, kind of muddying the waters, so to speak, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> being a good idea because then you're you're able to to push that uh, that final reveal literally until just before the end credits, which is pretty nice.
2: Do you think the film? Why do you think the film is called The Unnaturals? I think it's a double play, uh, and I think it's mm-hmm. an
1: unfortunate double play in one way. Yeah. the obvious way okay. is. <laughs> huh
2: yeah you're thinking the same as me i think
1: yeah 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 the, the there there's a lumping in that we'll get that we'll get to i think the unnaturals obviously we're dealing with uh the horrible nature of the crimes that get revealed you know the, the very human crimes that get revealed over the course of this film but also i think that it's it's clear that there's kind of a judgment being made about uh the lesbian characters within the film uh mm-hmm. that that you know does not uh does not evidence any sympathy for them let's just put it that way this is this this, she's being kind of the the main lesbian character is definitely being lumped in with the other unnaturals in you know in the storyline i mean you know i i i I find it uh i find it to be an overly broad thing but like i say boy was it of the time and was it ever an italian slash german attitude
2: (laughs) what did you yeah i agree um do we want to say what happens to Vivian in the end? Um, sure, we.
1: Why not? How would you describe it?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> because it's kind of well, harsh.
2: Yeah, it is a bit. She's so she's trying to uh, seduce Marguerite, mm-hmm. and uh, Marguerite like just keeps pushing her away and pushing her away and pushing her away until eventually she pushes her off a balcony. Um
1: <laughs> yeah I know uh, and, and and I love the, the the it the, that is set up very well and then when it happens it's still a surprise.
2: Yeah and it's just that one shot that you see the person the st- and I was trying to work out whether it was a stunt man in women's clothing from below the camera when they fall towards the camera um that shot kind of made me laugh because it t- t- took me by surprise because I mean, this yeah. is a very this is very much not an action film and then all of a sudden <laughs> You got this shot of this woman falling off the balcony. It'll um, it'll it'll uh, it'll make your eyes widen quite, really quick. Quite yeah. surprising. So yeah, I think you're right that the we could say that the film um, re, you know reflects the attitudes of the time, despite, <laughs> that, but yeah. but also it wants to have its cake and eat it because it's very, you know, it's very happy to show us all that stuff in the first place. Well, it doesn't detail go can get away with.
1: Yeah, the no. it's, it's 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 what I refer to kind of as like tasteful eroticism. It's not mm. uh, we're not getting zoom lenses into crotches here, like something no. like some Jess Franco. No, kind. it's
2: yeah, it's gonna we're not in a Franco film here. That's yeah, he's got some standards.
1: It's uh, I I would say that it's uh, it's a little bit closer in tone to say a, a D.H. Lawrence adaptation than it would be uh you know a sexploitation film. This is this is you know we're getting across the idea and we're being a little sexy with it. Uh, you know there's there is uh there is a brief flash of nudity here and there, but uh nothing and I know this may sound strange to put it to me, but nothing incredibly over salacious. <laughs> I mean there's yeah. there's there's enough nudity to let you know, hey, it's 1969.
2: Yeah, but, and you but you see this so often, don't you we get they want to show us all that, but then they also want to show us the characters being punished mm-hmm. for yeah. that. So, yeah, which is something that you see in lots of films that, uh, yes, great, let's film them all being a bit sexy, but then let's punish them for being sexy. <laughs>
1: let's um, punish them and, for doing the thing that we all wanted to see.
2: Yeah. And I think a little, I think possibly an element of that is to do with censorship as well. Yeah. Like if they just yeah. show people having a lovely time and then there's no comeuppance. Then that's going to upset the um, censorship boards far more than seeing some stuff and then seeing the characters get punished for it. So I think I think there's an element of that. And possibly there's also an element of this just being the uh, the kind of Catholic attitudes of 1969 as well. <laughs>
1: yeah, very much so. Yes. Well, overall, mm-hmm. this being the first time you've seen it, it's the second or third time. Because just before we recorded, I, I went I went through it again after I discovered that it's sitting on YouTube with those subtitles. The same subtitles, by the way. You know they're you know they're fan subtitles. When you realize that the word "witch," as in "which of mm-hmm. these will you want," is, is spelled, spelled with as if it, we were talking we were talking about a supernatural female creature creature. Yeah. Uh,
2: um. When it was say, hey, without just
1: know,
2: through it again, without fan subs, where would we be?
1: Oh, don't get me wrong. I'm never going to complain about fan subs, no matter mm-hmm. how many uh, errors are made are made in them. Because boy, have they allowed they've allowed me to see. I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens of films that I would I would never otherwise be able to comprehend. And I, I thank yeah. the fa- the fan sub community every time. And I'm going to do it right here again. Whoever the 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 Phantom Subber is behind crafting the English <laughs> subs for this film. Uh, very few mistakes and I'm pleased that I was allowed to see this film I I, like I say I wonder if there was ever an English dub if so boy is it difficult to find
2: yeah and of course there are plenty of legit releases where there are mistakes in the subtitles yeah I know and embarrassingly so on um, so I watched Pasolini's Arabian Nights uh, last week and about four times in the subtitles it comes up check italian (laughs) so whoever had been whoever was writing them at the time had put that little note in for themselves to remind themselves to just check that they've got that translation right but then they just left it in and it's like four times and this is a the bfi blu-ray release of a pasolini film so you think if they can't get it right and there's what hope have we got
1: (laughs) well those mistakes those mistakes do get through the 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 qa process i mean there's really there's no way around it there's just so yeah. many moving parts it's it, it is a shame when you run across them but i mean it it happens more frequently than you would think and that's yeah. a good example that's a good and kind of horrifying example
2: yeah
1: mm-hmm. uh so overall what uh I get the sense that I may have enjoyed this film more mainly because I've watched it. Uh, you know, I've watched it now over the course of, uh, a, a, a year or more. I've watched it more than once.
2: Mm. And, uh, no, I, but, I don't get me wrong. I did enjoy it. I just found it quite There's so many moving parts and people. Yeah. And some of the women, I was really confused about who was who and who hated who and who loved who. Um, <laughs> and maybe it does. Maybe it does need another couple of viewings to nail the plot down. I mean, your plot summary has been pretty helpful. Um, but yeah, I, I so I struggled a bit to keep up with who the people were supposed to be and what their motivations were. Particularly because it's saving quite a lot of stuff for the big reveal in the final act. So right. if you spend the first two acts not really sure where this is going, although you can sort of guess bits. But yeah so it's it's sort of slow moving and a little bit hard to follow at times but I still very much enjoyed it that slow moving
1: nature of these types of films is one of the things that you you have to be in the mood for Mm. the pace of films like this um but you know, much like you know any gothic, the he this is the pacing of a standard gothic story. Uh, you know, if you watch Castle of Blood or, or or any film of that of that type from the period, you'll see what we're talking. about, Long Hair of Death the same way. You have to let the film take its time. It's 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 saving its gut punches for the final act, and it's slowly building over time. You get a few little juicy bits of information and visuals along the way that you know you would you would that would you know kind of excite a viewer no matter what their uh, predilections but this is the standard way in which these stories are told and it's one of the things like i say you have to be in the mood for it but if you have a taste for this kind of thing it's uh, it's it's what you're it's it's part of what you're there for to a degree i
2: think mm, definitely that is always good you know with any margarita is better than no margarita
1: Oh, I'm 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 with you there. It's like you know, bring on Virgin of Nuremberg and Long Hair of Death. Yeah. I'm I'm all I'm all for that kind of thing. So
2: yeah, but maybe not, maybe not Hercules versus Karate. Just oh to, God, no, me. Maybe God. that's that's the exception that proves the rule.
1: Well, it's not the <laughs> only Margariti film that I have absolutely no time for. There's a there's a there's a short <laughs> list of Margariti films mm. that I, I, I that are not to not to my taste let's just put it that way it's like don't get me wrong i will i will stand there and defend killer fish uh i will stand mm-hmm. there and defend um oh my goodness so so many of his films but um I, I i am not going to uh stand up and be heard trying to find ways to praise uh mr hercules against karate it's it, that that is the diff that is the the dividing line for me with Margariti, which is that mm-hmm. when he goes for comedy i just kind of want you go for room.
2: the door <laughs>
1: yeah i go for the door <laughs> he goes for comedy i go for the door that's a good good way to put it you are you are you have found the proper way to attract attach this and that's why i think that um when he's able to use just little bits of comedy in uh, more serious stories, that's when I think it pays off. I think there's a yeah, in a number of his spaghetti westerns, you will see that where there's just you know little bits of comedy sprinkled sprinkled around to kind of you know it's kind of a seasoning. But when it's the main course mm-hmm. of the story being told, it's like, oh god, mm-hmm. did he did he did he mm-hmm. have a a terribly juvenile sense of humor, or did he just think that anybody watching this movie was going to have a terribly juvenile sense of humor? And I, it's like there's a part of me that don't want to know. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. I don't want to know. Okay, Adrian. Uh, so, what else? Uh, what What have you been up to? I mean, I, I don't. You've not written this film up for the uh, Margariti blog, which, uh, by the way, I'll, I'll link to in the show notes. Uh, what else have you been yeah, up to, sir? A,
2: well, I will try and add this one to the blog now. that I finally watched it. Um, well, my book, uh, my Norman J. Warren book that we've I've talked about on this show before. Oh yeah, uh, is fine, Finally out this week. I've been getting tweets in the last few days of people. Excited to have their copies. I don't have a copy of it yet myself, but uh, people who pre-ordered it have already got their copies, so that's very exciting. So, after um, I uh, I think fourteen years ago when I first met Norman, um, and now finally the book is out, so uh, very excited and pleased and relieved Excellent. to that uh, that is now available and people can order it if they want to get a copy from the creepy images website that's uh creepy images.com i think mm-hmm. and they they've done loads of other great film books as well so i'm um, very pleased to be uh to be with with those guys so yeah it's exciting it's full color it's uh yeah it's really cool so that's my big excitement for this week
1: well i have a lot of time for norman j warren's work even when i think that one of you know one of his films isn't uh, isn't as good as i wish it was i still i I've, i find i find his work fascinating so yeah this is this is exciting mm. i can't wait to read the book
2: yeah no it's good and uh now i'm already thinking about what i might write next <laughs> oh wow really i mean how, how yeah, long, how long ago how,
1: how long was there between you completing the text and the publication date
2: oh like days Oh wow, <laughs> really? <laughs> we were we were editing that thing right up until the final second when they had to send it to the uh, printers. Oh my goodness. So, yeah, oh it wasn't just like I wrote it and then sent it in and then that was it. We were just constantly editing and tweaking and writing extra bits in and rewriting and <laughs> discovering ex- noticing things that we'd forgot to mention that we should have put in there. The the publisher was very patient because he was constantly having to change it. Uh, like, oh, can you just fit this paragraph in here? And, oh, we just need to add that bit there. <laughs> fitting, a paragraph, right up that means, until,
1: fitting a paragraph yeah. it mean, means having to completely reformat. That sucks.
2: I know. We, uh, Yeah, so he was very good. So, yeah, it's a long process of editing and adding extra little bits and tweaking it. And so it's as good as it could possibly be. And if it hadn't have been for that deadline, I'd probably still be editing it now. So it was kind of good that he cut us off. But, uh, yeah, very pleased with it and uh, excited that that's done. But it's also, I mean, I'm never going to do a book that complicated again. It was a, that was a lot of work, as, as people will see when they get one. Um, then my next book, if I do one, will just be me sitting writing on my own. That's it. <laughs> no uh, massive amounts of page layouts and interviews. And, oh, yeah, it was a very complicated book. We interviewed. So many people, dozens of people. So there was—it was a huge effort. So, uh, if I do something next time, it'll be much easier. Hopefully,
1: that's ve- that's very exciting. I'm 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 glad I'm glad mm. that you've gotten this book out because I know I know that it, I know that it had to be a hellish amount of work. it was good fun. Well, Adrian, uh, thank you very much once again for coming on to cover an Antonio Margariti film. And uh, I guess we will uh, we will talk again soon as we enter the next phase of Wild Wild podcast
2: as well. We will. So everybody, yes, uh, check out Wild Wild podcast and uh, see what Rod thinks of Italian comedy. (laughs) You may already know. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, as if we don't know already. So you hear more of what Rod thinks about Italian comedy.
1: Hey, there's the occasional <laughs> Italian comedy that I don't mind.
2: Yeah,
1: occasional. Oh yeah, we're doing Poliz-
2: we're doing Polizioteschi films next, so that's yeah. going to be fun. Which is more,
1: which is more up my alley, but then again, it's also mm-hmm. a much more popular genre. So, yeah, I mean okay. the, the 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 Italian sex comedies, uh, the ones that we were speaking of specifically, the uh, the ones that are kind of ripping off the Pasolini trilogy. <laughs> that was that was a very short-lived phase. So yeah. <laughs> All right, man. That's Thank pretty you. Niche. Huh that was to say that was pretty niche <laughs> yeah to, to say the least uh but once again adrian thank you very much and we will we will talk to you again soon thank you bye bye
0: vampires werewolves zombies yes these things are real but fortunately for those of us who can afford him so is mark temple and he's good real good He's a former FBI agent turned freelancer with the knowledge and skills to eliminate your monster problems. And his rates are negotiable. Monster Hunter for Hire, the first volume of the Supernatural Solutions, the Mark Temple case files, is now available in both ebook and paperback. Go to tinyurl.com slash temple to buy your copy of Derek M. Cook's latest book. Read about Mark Temple, the experienced professional now available to rid you of your supernatural, ghoulish, and monstrous pests. That's tinyurl.com slash temple. And don't worry, Mark Temple is discreet.
1: All right, that wraps up our latest Antonio Margariti podcast. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. Uh, And once again, thanks to Adrian for continuing to do this. Uh, Of course, we podcast pretty regularly these days, but most of it is over on his show, Wild Wild Podcast. Check it out. We do have a lot of fun over there, and I guess this year we're going to dive headlong into a bunch of Italian crime movies. Uh, Actually, pretty fun genre because, man since most of them that we'll be talking about were made in the 70s they get a little out of control it's like the dirty harry influence and the french connection influence and the it just it all merges and melds together into uh well wow, some out of control stuff sometimes the violence flows freely so uh, once again thanks to adrian thanks to you for listening and if you have any comments want to write to the show The email address is thebloodypit at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and uh, got a lot of different things coming up this year. So keep your ear to the feed and uh, we will talk to you again soon. I am Rod Barnett. Bye bye.
0: that summer down